welcome to episode 23 of People Behind the Business, a show for small businesses with small teams and huge ambitions. I'm your host, Rosemary Richards. On this week's episode, I talk to Robin Young, a branding specialist, about intentional branding and all the small, simple things you can do to make all the different puzzle pieces of your brand, i.e. the logo and your website and your photos and everything else, really just make sense together, especially if you're not in a position to hire someone to cover your branding just yet. So without further ado, I'm going to let Robin go ahead and introduce yourself. Um, my name is Robin Young. I'm the founder of Robin Young & Co. And we are a, a branding agency based in downtown Los Angeles that works with uh, lifestyle businesses, mainly on um, smart strategy and intentional branding. So uh, you mentioned when you first reached out that uh, you started a business when you were pregnant. What was the journey like in the beginning? Oh, yeah, that was a fun one. <laughs> so um, about two years ago, um, I was still working for a tech company, um, General Assembly. It's actually a tech school uh, with uh, global campuses and um, loved my team, uh, you know, loved my position. But uh, things were kind of steadily changing as, you know, working corporate environment uh you know, often does. And, um, and I, you know, I, I had made the decision, um, to, to jump ship and I, I knew that I wanted to start something of my own. I, at the time I was thinking, Oh, maybe I'll do a travel blog or something. I had, I had some, you know, I had some ideas right before I gave my two weeks at my, at my position. Um, I found out I was pregnant and I was like, Oh Lord, here we go. You know, I just, I just wasn't sure if it was still the right time and it felt like it was all, um, you know, I, I just didn't know if it was like a responsible decision. <laughs> like, and it was challenging at first. I, you know, ultimately I, you know, sat down with my husband and, you know, we decided, Hey, you know, maybe this is, maybe this is a sign from the universe that this is the right time to do this. Um, you know, maybe, maybe this is, maybe this is all kind of converging because it's meant to. Um, and, you know, he was able to kind of keep us afloat for a bit while I was building this business, thank God. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and ultimately I found that uh, there were certainly some unique challenges. I mean, there are, there are challenges to starting any business, but there were unique challenges to being pregnant and starting a business. Um, none the least are which are, you have, you know, physical challenges. I, you know, I, I definitely had morning sickness that lasted throughout the day. Stamina, I'm sure too. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That I was very tired a lot. And, you know, a lot of times having to push through that, um, you know, you certainly don't want to be in a, a high pressured or stressful situation while you're, you know, while you're pregnant. So a lot of times I was really trying to mitigate it any anything that I felt like was gonna cause me stress. Um, you know, things were slow to start. And again, that's also just how it is when you're in that first year of your business. You're working hard, you're not seeing a lot of the fruits of the labor yet. It's a lot of setting the foundation. Um, but yeah, I think I think in a lot of ways having a baby and starting a business were very similar. You know, you, you deal with the challenges 
and then at the end of it, you've got this beautiful thing that you've built um, that is that is a part of you, um, and it and it makes the struggle and the challenge worth it. As cheesy as it sounds, uh, it's kind of like two babies at once. Yes. <laughs> It I'm did sure. very much feel that way. And what is so serendipitous to me is that for the the first real client that I booked, I booked right before I went on maternity leave. So effectively, right before I, I gave birth, I had my first real client. And again, it just, you know, I had, I had sent proposal after proposal. I had gone through the work of really figuring out my own brand and, and, you know, and, and the like nitty gritty details and um, challenges of what that actually looks like. How do you figure out what your brand is? I'm not talking about your visual brand. I'm talking about like your actual brand, which, you know, we'll chat about. Um, but, but really determining who that audience was and what made me special and how was I going to position myself and like, at what price point and how was I going to create packaging? These things took a long time to figure out. I didn't have any of these things figured out when I started. I sort of just had this passion and drive and maybe this little bit of peace inside of me that said, you know, you, you want something of your own, that this corporate lifestyle is never going to be enough for you. And that was all that was driving me for, for a long, long time. You know? I think that's really common to like have those challenges in the beginning. Now it seems like it continues to be part of all the different groups that I'm part of. Everyone always has those questions, and of course, it's overwhelming. Yeah, I mean, it's real. It's very hard at the beginning because you just have to have the right mindset about it. You have to be able to go through the losses without that, you know, without losing your enthusiasm. Um, you need to be able to have that confidence about you. And it's very difficult to have that when you're getting so many no's. Um, it becomes easier as you start to see the impact of your work, as you start working with clients and you start to see that impact and you feel a little bit more confident. Like you go into those sales meetings a little bit, you know, standing a little bit taller and, you know, you, you find your ways. Um, but then you find new challenges. You know, there's always growth and, and therefore there's new challenges and new ceilings for you to hit. So I think that really what it looks like is just becoming comfortable with the uncomfortable. It sort of is like, you know, it, it sort of is like having a child. <laughs> you know, and then that's game and they don't, they don't need you for certain things. But then there are now new challenges <laughs> that you have to, you know, so, so yes, they start walking, but then you need to make sure that they're not, you know, they're not running into things. And so, I mean, it's, it, it's sort of, it's sort of never ending. And I think that there's a level of patience that you have to have both as a parent that, that has helped me tremendously in ha- having that patience in growing a business. So as much as I think people try to warn me, you know, maybe this isn't the right time to do this. I actually found in my journey that it was a perfect time because a lot of times I was going through very similar challenges and I could use bits and pieces of things that I learned along the way in each one of these journeys to help me with the other. So how did you find co-working helped? Oh gosh, co-working was probably my, you know, one of my biggest breaks right at the beginning. And it was just by kind of luck of the draw. I, I think it's I think it's an element of like being open to it. Um, my my coworker, you know, my previous coworker, had posted on her you know, LinkedIn or something 
that there was a new co-working space um, opening up in downtown. And I'm, I'm, you know, my husband and I live in Pasadena, for those of you who are listening who are in the LA area. Um, so, it's, you know, it's relatively close. And I, I've always loved the idea of, you know, working out of the city. But to be honest, when I came, you know, they, so they, this new co-working space, because they were brand new, they were offering a free week of co-working. So you could just come, use the space for, you know, for an entire week for free. And I was like, okay, this could be cool. Maybe there, you know, maybe this will be an opportunity for some networking, whatever. I had no intention of actually working out of a co-working space. No intention. First of all, I thought, oh, there's no way I can afford this. Like all of all of the things, right? Yeah, so much um, of fun in the beginning. I I uh, I do that myself too. That's what held me back with doing it for the longest time. It's just the cost. <laughs> Is it the right? <laughs> right, right, and it's and it's impossible to know when the right step is for you. I mean, no, it's different for everybody. Um, but for me, I was lucky enough to have had this opportunity to work there for free for a week, and then what ended up happening was by chance I met the VP of operations, and I said, "Hey." You know, listen, you have basically an empty co-working space here. Um, you need to start filling these offices. I feel like I can help you. Um, you know, what if we started creating some strategic partnerships and, you know, start getting some foot traffic in here? Um, and then we can put together a kind of program wherein, you know, maybe to get a certain discount for, you know, if they sign up right away, you know, immediately they create that sense of urgency and, Maybe we can create a, you know, an email campaign that will, you know, keep them in the space or, you know, there are various things that, that I can help you with to just start driving traffic into your location and start creating brand awareness for your space. Um, and all I want in return is a free office. <laughs> and, um, and they agreed to it. They absolutely agreed to it. Because, I mean, really, it was a win-win for them, too. They weren't, they weren't having to pay me. Um, and they were giving me something that they already had. They had readily available, right? So I did that. I did that for like a year. Um, and then only at the beginning of this year, I finally said, you know, my work, I had done my work with them. They, they had, I put, I got them in a really great space. They went from like 20% capacity to, you know, 80% capacity. And, um, and I, you know, I, I decided, okay, I'm, I'm ready to do this for real. And I became a member and right away I started, you know, I, I, I started, I just became a member. I got an office and yeah. Um, but it was so funny because when I started, I didn't actually start out by having an actual office. I, 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 um, traded with them with just a membership. So the funny part is, is that I would literally work off my headquarters. We're literally like working off of a couch in their like main space. Oh, yeah, we have to do that at my space, too. Yeah. I don't know if it's the same term across a lot of the co-working spaces, but I believe the word's hot desking. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, a a shared desk. Um, Yeah, I mean, I had a sort of shared table, uh, and that's really where I launched my company. I mean, and I was was super, you know, I was pregnant at the time, and I I got to know the team, you know, and, and just, I... I think it's so funny how we have these expectations because we see these successful businesses and we don't see their like modest beginnings. But but we all start from these very modest beginnings and it's all about how you 
perceive your your um, your company and your value uh, that really that really sets you on that path for success. Because um, that's what people are buying into, especially okay. in the service-based business. They're buying into you. You know, they want to feel confident about you and your abilities. And the real, the real challenge, the real work to be done is just building that confidence for yourself and <laughs> knowing that value and charging it. So, which brings us to the topic of the intentional brand. Uh, since that's so much uh, what you help people with, could you? Give listeners a bit of an intro to what it means to do intentional branding. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first thing that we have to do is we have to dispel the myth of what a brand is. Um, your brand is not your logo. It's not the look and feel of your Instagram. It's not the, you know, the colors or the typography that you use on your website. Those are how those things, those elements are how you communicate your brand. Your brand is actually the reputation of your company. And the way that we, you know, um, uh, control that, or, or at least as much as we can control that and spend attention for it is with brand strategy. It's with identity building. Um, and, and it, and when we work on strategy with customers, what we look, what we, you know, create for them essentially is their mission statement, their value prop, their core values, you know, the um, the ethos of the brand, the customer persona, what the vision is of the brand. That's where the real heartbeat of the brand exists. It's in those things and how they synergetically align with each other. And what's so challenging about that is it's not this one and done thing. And you can you can get a solid foundation for a strategy, but then it's also about then committing to that and having it permeate everything that you do, every piece of content you send out, um, every transaction, your customer experience. I mean, intentional branding looks like it's it's the fact that um, a brand without a plan is just a design. It's, it's not going to do anything to move your customers. It's not going to do anything to, you know, reach your, your business goals. It's just something pretty. It's a facelift, but it's not actually, um, changing the entity. So what popular brands do you find are great examples for those that are only just learning about this concept? And why would you say that's the case? Yeah. So I think that, um, Everlane is one that has been really uh, great and really strong. I mean, they just, they have this um, ethos of, you know, of a very sustainable brand um, and a very ethical brand. And it permeates everything that they do, but it also has, you know, everything from the, the pieces that they make to, you know, even like the look and feel of their, you know, packaging being like recycled. I, I believe they use like recyclable materials for their packaging and, you know, and for their tags and, and like even the look and feel of the brand itself has this very, um, kind of eco vibe to it. Um, and, and that, you know, the content that they put out there is all about that. It's about this idea of, you know, responsible brands and kind of 
um, cutting out the fluff, you know, cutting out the sort of middleman and providing, you know, realistic pricing for, uh, for valuable products, for, you know, quality products. And I really appreciate that. I, I think that they've done a really great job as a brand. Um, Casper is another one that I think oh, really, yeah. I, yeah, sheets and bedding company so when we first started working together she said that straight away she yes. was like this is what i want to go for and it's true it has brilliant. been brilliant it is brilliant it is very it's brilliant branding um it it was unique you know in this space of god I, how long have you know has mattressing you know mattressing been an industry uh, that has just been you know one way of doing things and breath of fresh air with this like this uh, this brand that was that was highly tech forward um, and you know and, and again still about um, providing the the utmost of quality but also if you look at if you've ever you know if you um, if you get their newsletter which I do because I just I admire this brand so much and we're also we're Casper owners I love my Casper mattress um, but I, I love to just see how they how they handle their content how they handle you know um, the the customer communication and it's so smartly written they have such a approachable um, entertaining, thoughtful brand voice. Uh, and, you know, it's, every- and it's really clever and eye-catching and humorous too. I've, I've seen the ads on, on the subways and they always catch my eye and I always get a good laugh out of them. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that they were very smart and intentional and thoughtful and strategic about who they were trying to market to. And, the, and it's obvious that the, the brand is marketed to millennials and younger families, you know, y- younger couples, um, who, who care, who are, who are obviously in their working years and care about getting that, that good night's sleep. Um, and, and were open to, you know, um, buying a mattress that they wouldn't necessarily be able to test in a store. So they had to be people that were open to this idea of, okay, well, if, if anything goes wrong, we just send it back. There's a, a guarantee around that. Um, because up until then, you know, you would go into a, a mattress shop and you would test it out and you would lay on it. And like they, they kind of revolutionized how we shop for mattresses, right? Yeah. So I think that, I think that there are brands that all in all, um, changed the game a bit, you know, changed the, they found the white space. They found the, you know, the the place within the industry that they could disrupt, and they disrupted it. Um, and then they created intentional branding around that value that that you know that aligned with that value. Um, so it's probably one of the best examples I could probably come up with. Another one that I really love too is um, Dollar Shave Club. Oh yeah, Dollar Shave Club. Yeah. Oh. They, they're phenomenal with the, with the content. I just, I have to say, I love it. I, it's a, it's a lifestyle brand. I think that that's the, the important piece of what we try and communicate with clients is that you are no longer just selling products. It, regardless of what you are selling, you are selling a lifestyle and an experience. If you hope to be a brand that lasts, that's what you need to be thinking about. You need to be thinking about how can you continue to add value for your customer. So 
So with Dollar Shave Club, for example, um, and it just gives you these like quick little quirks about various things, funny little stories, funny little anecdotes. Um, it's, you know, again, it's obvious who their customer is. It's obvious who they're trying to appeal to. They know this customer and they continue to ask themselves, how can we add value to this particular customer? So the other piece that I want to point out when it comes to intentional branding is allow me to self-identify with this brand is talking to me. This brand adds value to me. This brand is for me, right? So yeah, I think that that's the biggest, that's the biggest challenge that I have. That's the biggest like push pull moment that I usually have with, with newer entrepreneurs is they're like, Oh God, I don't, I just, I don't want to be so specific or niche. It's like they're scared that if they pick a lane <laughs> and stay in it, that, that the business isn't going to come. And what, what ends up happening is you end up getting more of the ideal clients and customers and actually work out that it's like a one-to-one thing like if you're you're somebody who's um you know whose ideal client might be a 35 year old male you know living in um silicon valley and you know driving a prius or whatever right it doesn't mean that you're only going to get that that customer it means that you're going to align your brand with that ideal customer in mind and you're and you're going to end up getting these sort of subsets of customers who may be just a little bit to the left or a little bit up to the right of that demographic, but you're going to get more of the people that you're actually trying to attract. And that's what intentional branding is. <laughs> so what are the best questions for those that are really doing a lot of this on their own um, to ask yourself when making all the small but important choices, like your colors and your fonts and things like that, although it's more than a logo, uh, trying to figure that out in an intentional way. Yep. So I think that um, before you start asking yourself at all about what the visuals are going to look like, you have to tackle the identity of your brand. And that looks like really getting very, very clear about your mission statement, your value prop, or what, what's the white space? What actually makes you different? What sets you apart from the competition? That's a very important one. In fact, if you don't have that one, Forget about the business. <laughs> it's not going to work. <laughs> you have to validate that you have a product market fit, and you have to be very clear about what that difference is, and and how is it valuable to your customer. So it's also not even enough for you to just be different. You have to be different in a way that's actually going to provide value to that customer. Um, so submission so statement, value prop, core values, uh, vision statement that audience persona, so getting very, very specific as to who is your ideal audience, um, vision statement. And I also like to look at your, your sort of customer value journey as well. Um, now, I know that that, is, that, seems, that can seem very overwhelming to people, especially if they're just, just starting out or if they've never worked out strategy before. So um, a lot of times I like to, if it's somebody like that, I like to start a little bit more high level um, and just say, what is it that you're passionate about? And how can we actually make this relate to what you've done in your past, maybe other businesses that you've had or other professions that you've had? And that's um, a great point, too, because, uh, yeah, it, it can be overwhelming in the beginning to just narrow it down to one person. Right, right. I mean, it, it, so the interesting part is, is I've worked on quite a few personal brands. And I've done workshops around personal branding as well. It's not that different from corporate branding. It's still about attaching a passion 
to a pain point, solving a, a pain point with a passion, essentially. Um, and then connecting that to what you also do well. Um, so I do have a um, free worksheet that I offer on my site. And I'll sh- share with you how to get that. And it, it includes some more kind of high-level questions to ask yourself about your brand before you even get into strategy so that that place doesn't feel so daunting. It, you know, they're, they're more kind of um, high-level questions to ask yourself first. And we'll that in the show notes over at rosemarywitchings.com slash podcast for those who are wondering. Perfect. Yeah. So we'll do it. We'll do it there too. And then I'll mention it here. So just, you text my name, Robin Young, and it's Robin with a Y, all one word, to the number 345-345. It'll come back with a text asking for your email address. You put in your email address, and then you'll get this brand planning worksheet. Um, and that should, as well as some other like good little, you know, goodies. I have a five, uh, a, a five, uh, email course that, uh, takes you through all of the elements of branding kind of one by one. So one element per email at a time and gives you some good examples of each so that you can work through these pieces kind of one by one. And it makes it just a little bit more approachable and less daunting. Um, but like I said, the first piece is just filling out that worksheet, filling out that brand plan worksheet. And getting an idea of what is it that you're really after? What is it that you really want? What's the bigger vision? So beyond just many of us start companies because we're just, we want to get out of the corporate grind. Mm. (laughs) And while that is noble, uh, when it comes to actually having a successful business, that's not going to be enough to motivate your customer. Right there. Everybody's out there to, you know, to solve their their own pain points. So you have to, it, it becomes less about you doing something that you're passionate about for you and about, you you know, accessing that that passion to solve someone else's problem and then how to align yourself strategically and, you know, and target the right audience for that. What about if uh, you're facing challenges such as a tight budget and a really small team, do you think that changes the way that's approached? Um, yes. So I think that, I think that, you can find a sort of DIY, you know, you can try and find a DIY approach to it. And I think maybe these tools will, you know, that, that is what the, these tools are going to give you. Um, obviously working with me is, you know, a very different price point. Um, but I do find that it's better for you to, it's more strategic for you to work with a brand strategist rather than working with a graphic designer. Because, as, again, as much as we're all so focused on the visual present, what really matters is having that very targeted approach and to be very specific around who your audience is. I've seen successful brands that have a very basic logo and and almost no presence online. I mean, it, I mean it's not... You know, this is something where we've, you know, we've, we've all come across these brands that have, you know, maybe one page landing, you know, one landing page, and yet they're a successful business. Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you that the reason is because they've probably been very strategic about their actual brand, not their visual brand, but their actual brand. Um, and that they're not having to depend on their visual brand to sell them. Now, obviously, this doesn't work as well if you have a physical product. You need mm-hmm. some kind of, you know, you need some kind of way of people, you know, being able to buy that product. Um, but for, for service-based folks, 
you don't need all of the bells and whistles. You know, you can you can pretty easily create a Squarespace. Um, you can even do a you know a Squarespace logo if you're really on a budget. Um, Squarespace has a has a you know a, a way to create a logo through them um, that's just really lo-fi. Uh, and I you know, know you, stuff like Canva and things like that. Yeah, I've seen some exactly. Employees. Yeah, you can use Canva exactly. I mean, I'm still using Canva, and I have I have designers at my fingertips, and, and yet for simple things like social graphics or or even like you know PDFs or or emails, um, I'll still create my own graphics. Like it doesn't take a lot of time to become well versed in using a platform like that. They're pretty user friendly. Um, yeah, so yeah, I use that. Like wow, yeah. Yeah, so we, we all have those moments of, you know, in our business where we, you know, can't afford it and we have to kind of bootstrap. Um, either way, it's not, it's not, I can't afford it and therefore I'm not going to do it. That's not going to be a good approach. That, that's not going to lead you down a good, uh, you know, a good direction. Yeah. It needs to maybe be like, you know, this, this is outside of my reach. I'm going to try and find somebody who's inside of my reach or I'm going to try and DIY or bootstrap this myself. Um, so, yeah, I'm, 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 it's funny as we're, as we're chatting about this, I am looking to create a DIY, um, online product that is a little bit more of an approachable price point for solopreneurs. Um, just because I, I came from that world. Um, you know, having been a, a solopreneur myself, I, I wanted to be able to build something that, um, that would help, you know, somebody in that position, uh, who really can't afford to work with a brand strategist because, you know, my price point is not cheap. Um, but the value of what I do can't be discounted and therefore I can't discount the prices. Um, but what I could do is create an online course with, you know, with the, with, with the DIY approach to it. Um, and at least it's a, it's a good starting place, you know, and it, and it may not be as solid as working with me directly, but here's, I mean, what it really comes down to is this. Your brand is never done. Yeah. You know, your visual brand can be, can feel polished, but your brand is never done. You're, it's, it's a constant. It's something that you have to constantly keep feeding and nurturing and cultivating and building, right? Even successful brands will, will constantly think about how to polish and rebrand. I mean, that, like the bigger, the, the big enterprise companies re, generally rebrand every like seven years. I think so, that's I mean, the if, important point to mention too, because a lot of people outside of that industry really don't realize they think they put up the website, they think they put up everything else, and and then that's it. Right. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's interesting. It, I think it's they think of it as like a check mark, and that's not how it works. It just isn't because essentially, if your audience is changing and growing, then your brand needs to change and grow with the audience. Now, there is such a thing as the other side of the pendulum you don't want to constantly be changing up your you know your logo and your color schemes and you know you want you want to stay true to the brand and just you know find ways to just um elevate it without without completely redoing it every time um but you know but there are ways there are ways to to you know ensure on both the visual side as well as the identity side that you're constantly staying aligned and intentional with that vision and vision i think is one of the hardest pieces to nail as a brand you know because we're just not used to dreaming anymore yeah. <laughs> we just we, we think more tactically yeah, yeah exactly we think, we think more tactically and more realistically and we set goals based on what we think we can 
actually uh, accomplish. But that's not the point of a vision statement. I, I think the best vision statements that I've ever seen um, or you know read were ones that felt like they were never going to be achieved. You know, they're they're so they're so aspirational that it just feels like this will never happen or it'll never happen in our lifetime. But to me, that's what makes it a good vision statement. It, it's essentially telling the world, I'm not going to stop with my business or, or my idea until I reach this point, which means that you would always give yourself that, that path, that leg room. So going back to the point about the DIY approach, what's the best way for, what do you find that uh, people are often missing out on? And what's the best way to work around it? Those who, that's the only choice they have. And yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that the, I think that the, the best approach is to, um, you know, first of all, to be very clear about what you do. Don't try and be, if you're trying to DIY this, don't worry about, um, being marketable. Don't worry about it sounding creative. It's more important that it's just clear what you do. Um, and that's the sort of mission statement or elevator pitch. When I, when I work, you know, on the, uh, when I teach workshops with people who are taking DIY approaches, that's what I tell them. I, I, I essentially say, Hey, don't, don't worry about like writing a tagline. Like that's not important. The important part is that you're very clear in communicating what you do, who you do this for. And what makes you different? You, you know, what's, what's the sort of white space that you're filling? I think that's another area where people really, they, they fail to, to show how they're going to be different. And the really, the really tough part is when you try and say, well, I'm just, I'm a more affordable option. That is a very, very dangerous yeah. place to be in. Extremely so. Right? It is. It is. Cause first of all, it would be very easy for somebody to con- to undercut you, and then and then you're just doing that merry merry go round. Yeah, I've been um, in that position when I first started. I was in that position, and I really learned the hard way. It's the best way to get not the best, the most valuable experiences. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, what's interesting to me is that you can charge more when you show that you have more value, and it's sort of it. You know, if you can imagine that like a graph, I mean, the, the more that the value goes up, the more the price rate can go up. So it, it's almost as if they're trying, you know, these, these folks who are trying to play the, the numbers game, the price game, the price war game doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's just, it's something where it's going it, to, it's going to, um, it's going to derail your business. And that's, that's not a long-term solution. So I would think about, um, you know, I mean, you, you can, yes, you can provide a more affordable solution. I still think that the other value, the actual differentiator is the one that you should lead with. So uh, on the opposite side of the spectrum, for those who are listening to this and considering working with their first branding strategist, uh, what do you think they should be on the lookout for? And what people often misunderstand about what that experience is like. Yes. Oh, I love that you're asking this question because it, it is something that comes up. Um, not all brand strategists are created equal. 
Um, a lot of times if you're working with a uh, design shop who, you know, really specializes in the visual branding side, they may claim to do brand identity or brand strategy. And really what you're getting from them is like, okay, we're going to do a manifesto and maybe they'll, you know, they'll write a few strong paragraphs, okay, and maybe a tagline for you. But they don't work on the key component. They don't work on your mission statement. They don't work on your audience. They don't work on your on your vision or core values or value property. These are all things that that very much relate to your brand and your identity, and yet they don't work on them. Um, a lot of times, why they don't work on them is because they feel like, well, this is a business, and you should know that already. Like these are things that you should be giving to us. Um, and I've just found in my experience that that's not usually the case. It's not even the case a lot of times with established businesses. Hmm. Um, they may they may think that they know. They may have you know these founders may feel like they have the idea in their heads, but if you're not communicating that to your audience, to your team, to your investors, to your partners, if it's in, if it's just in your head and it doesn't actually exist anywhere, or if if, if the elements don't synergetically align, meaning that you have this audience but your pain point doesn't actually align with your audience, or maybe your vision doesn't actually align with the audience. It's how these synergetically align that actually makes it a strong brand. Or in other words, um, lack of consistency. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So, so the lack of consistency can be a concern. So it's, I, I would just um, vet the strategist beforehand, make sure that they actually do work on these elements. Um, I, I, find it very difficult to find strategists who actually do. Um, and I think they may have, you know, in, in an effort to sell their business, a lot of times they'll tell you, oh, you don't need that. I'm here to tell you that if you don't already have that as a business, if you don't already feel strong in those elements, you absolutely do need that. Before you spend any money on marketing or design or continue to throw anything into that, you need to think through your brand strategy. You need to be very clear on those elements. Which brings us to the next uh, question and really the wrap-up. So if this listeners get only one thing out of this episode in terms of what they need to remember for their brand, what is the one thing you hope they get out of this? Um, the one thing I think I would love for them to get out is um, your brand, your a brand without a plan is just a design. It, 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 a, a brand without strategy is not really a brand at all. Um, you can have a beautiful visual brand, but if it does not motivate your customers, if it doesn't, if it doesn't drive movement, if it doesn't drive sales, then what's the point? Right? I, yeah. I think there's just, there's too much of a misconception around your visual brand being your brand. And, there, and like, as much as that's the sexy side of branding, don't rush to get to your visual brand, spend time on that brand identity, know who you are and who you're trying to appeal to and what you have to offer and what that vision is before you start trying to tackle, you know, your, your first brand or even a rebrand. So, uh, any cool projects on the go that you want to tell listeners about or long-term goals? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. This is, so, by the um, way, this is airing in uh, early 2019. Just in case yeah. that gives you any indication. Yeah, yeah, I love that. 
Um, so yeah, I am working on that online um, DIY offering. No, no, uh, no real date in mind as to when that's going to be done, but I'd like it to happen at some point in 2019. I already have a lot of the content kind of planned out. Now I just need to sort of test it. Um, I am also planning to do, I've taught my first internal branding workshop for Google um, a couple of weeks ago. And so now that is going to be a, a corporate offering that I'm going to um, start selling on my site and start you know, offering and kind of pushing into the new year. So for any of you that are listening that have maybe, um, you know, you have, you're working within a corporation, maybe you're not necessarily looking to start a company, maybe you're wanting to work on a personal brand. Um, that's what I do. I teach these workshops and they usually couple well with corporate retreats um, on, you know, employee brands. So working with teams on their personal brand and then figuring out, okay, now that we under- have an understanding of what your personal brand is, how does that relate to either the team brand? or the company brand at large. So I think I find that it helps to kind of um, connect personal vision and passion to company mission um, really nicely. So yeah, so for anybody listening that might uh, have an interest in that for their own company or maybe, you know, may know of a company that, uh, that might need that, love to hear that. So where can listeners find you online if they want to learn more or reach out? Yeah. So my website is um, robinyoung.co, so .co, and it's Robin with a Y. Um, you can also follow me. I'm the most active on um, Instagram. So my Instagram handle is just at robinyoung.co, same, same spelling. Um, all pretty all pretty easy and simple to follow. Um, I, I mean, if you can find me on LinkedIn, you're more than welcome to add me there. And I, I do find that I've become sort of a, an unofficial mentor to people on LinkedIn. So, you know, if you if you message me there, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, grab a virtual coffee with you and share my story. I do try and make time for that. At least, you know, I have little slots that I'll um, that I'll fill on a monthly basis with folks who just want to, you know, learn more about what starting a business looks like. And Especially for really solopreneurs um, and etc. You might find that helpful. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yep. Alright, so thanks so much for being on the show. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Alright. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you like what you heard, and you would like to keep up to date on future episodes, hit the subscribe button on your podcast listening device. And I also have an active newsletter for podcast updates and etc. And the link for that is available in the show notes if you'd like to opt into that. And of course, tell all your friends and I'll see you soon on future episodes.